0: i uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man one hair-sniffing minute at a time. I'm Zach Luna. (laughs) I'm Scott (laughs) Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. See, it just happens. It just comes to you. Uh, Today today we're talking about Minute uh, 7, which starts with uh, Norman saying, I'm something of a scientist myself, and uh, ends with a shot of a jumping spider, basically. Uh, Am I Mm -hmm. I correct on that, uh, Scott? Yeah, jumping spider. Yeah. He's a, he's a jumper and so, Harry, I mean, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay.
0: So before this is so irrelevant, but I just want to get out of the way. I almost brought this up uh, on Monday, but we were already kind of running pretty long. So mm-hmm. if you, cause we watched these before recording, yeah. um, if you look at the frame, the frame that starts this minute, <laughs> the, the extra that's walking past Willem Dafoe, like moving her hair out of her face, yeah, mm-hmm. tell me that is not Cat
1: Dennings. <laughs> it could be. I mean, no. I don't it think it matches I think that she's, I think
2: she's I think she's too, yeah, she's she too would be a little kid. Yeah. At this point, she would be like 8 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: I think she's too tall to be Cat Dennings. Cat okay. Dennings is kind of stout. She's built. She's not a, t- a tiny slender tall person. At any rate, this I don't think it's Cat Dennings, but it's not totally implausible that it would be her because she would have been like 18 or something around the time that this came out you know oh really yeah she was born in like 86 Um, oh
2: wow she's way older than i thought she was
1: right i always thought she was born in like 1992 or something yeah 1986 she was born
2: was she like she's like so she's like way older than michael Sarah. uh no no michael Sarah is uh like I'm no, because Michael Sarah was like 14 around this time because he was on Arrested Development.
0: Yeah. Michael yeah.
1: is was born in 88. He's 28. So he's two two years old two older years, than her. Wait. Two, two, years, two years younger. Years, younger. Younger than her. Two years younger Okay. Than yeah. Weird. This, all right. <laughs> well, anyway. All right. Well, speaking Man, of- Man, Kat Dennings um, uh, would
0: have made a dope like Felicia or like Betty Brandt. She should just be in more things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. More things. Yeah, more things yeah. that aren't too. Broke she girls. could.
2: I could see her. She could play Betty Brandt in like yeah. the the Marvel Studios
1: Spider Man. Oh movies. yeah, if she's like working at JJ's office and being all snippy yeah. with Tom Holland, that'd be great. Yeah, oh, i yeah, a hundred percent be
2: on board for that. Um, sure. Wait. Yeah. Is Plus, it, she needs to. She just needs to get the hell. Oh, she can't be because she's in Thor. Uh, oh she's well. the, she's oh, not. Oh yeah. Not in,
1: she's, she is. Yeah. She's oh, in I in all the Thor gonna, I gonna,
0: oh, that's why that couldn't work. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway. Well, they have reused actors in the MCU before yeah uh, but not to that level she's yeah. very memorable <laughs> no, no, in the it's Thor like movies. the best friend of uh thor's girlfriend right. yeah to be a little right trickier than than she noticed. has
2: you know she has <laughs> or whatever <laughs> she says <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway kat dennings isn't in this movie and i don't know why we're still talking about her
0: but i will so, say
1: if you haven't seen nick and noren's infinite playlist you're in for a real treat that's a good thing mm. um i mean it's, it's i guess it's worth talking a little bit about like the weird experience of being a background actor and in, in, in these sort of films, you know, like I've, I've worked in, in a bunch of different TV shows doing background acting before I did like more actual acting or worked in costumes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it is the strangest experience in the world. Cause you're not really a person. You're just a, a moving bit of scenery. So they don't right. tell you anything about what's going on. Like nobody talks to you or, or lets you know what's going on. You're, you're put in like a little corner uh, you don't holding. have like a yeah.
2: there, there's not like an extras wrangler that's like telling there's, you what there's to do.
1: one. Yeah, it's usually a second AD or like a second, second AD, or sometimes it's a PA whose job is to just be the extras wrangler. But they don't right. tell you things. They're just there to make sure you don't wander away, that you're there at lunch and that you're not screwing things up and that you don't make any noise because an extra is one of the the few jobs where there's no. uh background check involved there's no like actual application process or anything like that it's just you sign up at the casting agency and then on the day that they need people they they call and tell them what kind of people they need and you call in and say like hey i'm that type of person i could play a high school student and then they send you to set and uh and then you're just dropped into it and so a lot of your job is just to have no idea what's going on and then just respond to weird moves so i know during this scene There is at least one second AD just to the side whose only job is they have like eight background characters, background actors with backpacks or without backpacks and just saying like, go now, go walk in front of them now, walk behind them, just sending people in random different places. And you, you never know what's going on. You just walk around in circles all day. It is very, very weird. Uh, right. Yeah, a worthwhile digression that I uh, asked us to go on that didn't lead anywhere. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for thanks for going with me on that. It's <laughs> um, so, all part of so, the magic of movies. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. think
2: I think um so. Peter says that he's read all of Norman's research, uh, specifically on nanotechnology. Yes, which I find interesting because you would think, like I don't know, as a screenwriter, That's like a I, gun, I, yeah 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 I, 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 yeah exactly like i would think like oh i would write something about evolution theory or something something involving what norman is working on later you know yeah, or propulsion
0: yeah. technology yeah or, yeah or, man yeah, that yeah. goblin glider right sure that. looks slick mr osborne thank <laughs>
1: yeah. you, thank you. <laughs>
2: I, I mean i mean something like that like yeah. why nanotechnology it's really interesting because then it makes me think like Okay, so he wrote research on nanotechnology, but is this like an old piece of research? In which case, has has uh, you know Oscorp moved past nanotechnology? Like mm. nanotechnology is just a thing that
0: exists in this okay, world. I'm about to do some yeah. world class. <clears throat> pulling stuff out of the air foo but oh go for it yeah but what my what my heart is leading towards is I don't think they would publicly release files on Oscorp unless they were like no longer it's like when the government releases stuff like when they published the 9-11 commission report, it was like, hey, this is kind of done now. It's no longer sensitive information, so we're just gonna release this for the sake of public knowledge. So what I'm thinking is that nanotechnology is now kind of not something they're actively developing, so they're cool with releasing all of their research data.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Or, or it's like or it's the more public facing front of the company that like, you know, here's all the the nice stuff we're working on, like, you know, cleaning up oil spills with nanotechnology type of stuff yeah. and then all of their more shady stuff. they just Yeah. Keep, like if you, know, you met if right. you
0: met Tim Cook, you wouldn't be like, oh, I heard that you're planning on transferring consciousness into like a bio matrix, thus effectively achieving immortality. Right. Like right, that's not right. stuff that they're 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 open about
1: no right but it's happening
2: yeah but it's happening um yeah so 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 i need to talk about i need to talk about harry in this scene because harry's not talking a lot but what's really great is like when he says like i read all your research harry like looks at him like oh even i haven't done that and then and then norman says that line and you understood it and Harry's dad angst face gets like dialed up to eleven. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> oh God, it's great.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm amazed watching this movie over the last couple weeks. Uh, just how efficient it is at the beginning. I I think about this a lot, and I it'll probably take me a few more weeks on the podcast to really to like get this kernel of an idea into something better. But I just keep thinking in in terms of what is worth spending time on on screen? Mm -hmm. I keep having Mm -hmm. this thought as we go along. And in terms of like the version of the Kep's uh, draft that we were talking about yesterday with the car conversation and this little moment here, how efficiently we get across this relationship and this new meeting between Peter and 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 Norman and all the tension immediately there. And it's so quick. It's so right. efficiently done. And it's worth spending time on in this way, but not worth like sitting in for a page and a half of dialogue or something. It just right. you're immediately like, oh, oh, these guys click way better than I thought they were going to. Oh no. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you
2: know, they're it, they're doing they're doing most of the work. Like Raimi is really trusting his actions. Actors here because Mm -hmm. he's letting all of the text from the kept draft uh, just play in like glances across the actors because because you have Harry's dad angst face and then when you go back to uh, Norman after Peter says like oh yeah I wrote a paper about it and Norman says impressive and his eye line just for a split Uh. second like just switches over to Harry. Like yeah. you could learn a thing or two about yeah. this yeah. from this kid. Ugh. And then goes back to Peter. And it was like, your parents must be very proud. And I'm just like, Oh god like <laughs> it's it's all done in subtext and and just trusting your actors uh, with, yeah. to do more uh. with a look than they can with dialogue and it's so good. I
1: uh, in that same vein the way that Toby immediately there's no pause or or any sort of like gathering of something where he just says I live with my aunt and uncle they are very proud. That it, mm-hmm. it is that is my family those are my parents let's not have a moment here about this but like
0: Oh, like, like, like he—he's given uh, that answer a hundred times. Yes, You're right,
1: yes, yes, and he's so used to it, and he's so polite and and businesslike at that moment that just feels like Peter Parker in my belly. You know, not to talk mm-hmm. too too soon about uh, things that we'll talk about years from now. Uh, but I remember watching the Amazing Spider-Man two last weekend because my girlfriend had never seen it, and uh, just thinking about how much time is spent on parental stuff versus. Aunt May, Uncle Ben stuff in that right. movie, and just in this moment to him be like, "Your parents must be very proud. I live with my aunt and uncle. They are proud. That's all you need." Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I, I have like a lot of thoughts, and on we will that. get to uh, all those thoughts. Yes, yeah. We will. yeah. When we when we get <laughs> oh. to May and Ben, I have I have thoughts, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to I want to hold off on that for now. But it's
1: just a nice moment. Yeah. God, I can't. Yeah, wait I mean, it's, it's,
2: it's to talk com- about
0: Amazing Spider-Man Two.
2: <laughs> it's a complete. It's it's a good moment because yeah, it's a complete dismissal of parents
0: yeah yeah, yeah he's like, like i he am over like, it i this is i do not have any baggage surrounding this which right in retrospect is a really kind of in like not common and so smart move from the writers and Raimi. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so like like you know he is told we don't even his parents aren't a thing he lives well because they uncle, don't they don't happens. talk
2: that's not right because that's not something that they dealt with at all yeah in the comics yeah for for several years uh, several yeah i think until like the like the 70s or 80s before they were like oh yeah like who (laughs) are (laughs) his parents yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, for the longest time Mm -hmm. right for the longest
1: time you just accept that peter lives with his aunt and uncle uh and it's just hey arnold is a good touchstone there yeah exactly like this is his family and it's it's as uh legitimate and and uh, close as, as yeah, any other like, type of we don't really radical, need to yeah. explain
0: what happened to his, his 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 mom and dad
1: yeah right yeah he lives with his aunt and uncle that's Because yeah, like
0: when you're growing up you always had friends that you know they're like hey this is my uncle john and i'm like all
1: right cool yeah right yeah whatever I think about it it's, it's not my business think about harry. nobody's thinking about harry's car either but harry worries that they are so it works um yeah yeah i also wonder too in in terms of the differences between the kept draft and what's going on here and the trust in the actors and the subtext. I wonder how much is in the rewrites and how much is working with the actors. Because one thing that I've run into a lot in researching the production of this film was that Raimi insisted on having like a fairly long rehearsal period before they went into shooting. And I wonder how much of this is like... Obviously, they've read the earlier drafts and obviously they had that knowledge and baggage of uh, all the different avenues that it went down. But like, how do we distill this down to... The only thing that matters in the scene right you know how do we get it all across and part of that's just the rehearsal until they're comfortable with what's going on
2: the rehearsal process i i feel like movies don't do that enough
1: yeah Um, definitely um, but i think i i think
2: that the rehearsal process is the part that makes the movie tight yeah because the thing that i think a lot of directors are always worried about is like well if you rehearse your actors too much then everything is gonna not feel honest when we get in front of the camera
1: yeah that feeling of like get it the first time yeah
2: right but that's not true because because the thing that you're you're taking out of consideration is that when you do rehearsals you just do them in like a warehouse like and there's no good set like it's just a bunch of folding chairs and and stuff like that like it's It's a mocked up, like, just to kind of get blocking and camera angles and stuff right. And that's
0: it. And it keeps the the actors on the day. They're focusing on the stuff that matters because they've already gotten the artificial stuff that's not going to change out of the way. Out of the way. Right.
2: Well, but but then, but what I was going to say is that the other, the thing that the directors are always forgetting Mm -hmm. is that the ones that don't like doing rehearsals, Mm -hmm. what they're forgetting is that, if you're doing rehearsals in a warehouse without a set, when those actors get on set and are in costume, it, it's going to feel like doing it for the first time again. Yes, only exactly. They're going to come to it with so much more confidence yeah. of of the tone, of the director's vision, like because it, it's not going to feel like you know, their first day on set anymore. Like it's just going to feel everyone is going to feel like they're on the same page because everyone before setting foot on state on, on set, everyone has already been working on
0: the movie for a month now. Yeah. Yeah, You know, having come from the world of theater, I, I, uh, whenever a play gets to, uh, something called tech week, uh, tech week is the part of the production where you move into the space and, the lights and sound and props
1: the and timing costumes. and the cues. Yeah. All, like all we're of, working on that.
0: Yeah. All of that <laughs> is taken care of. And nine time, nine plays out of 10 that I've been in the, the, at some point the director will casually remind the, or the stage manager will casually remind the actors. Hey, tech week is not for the actors. Like, Right. Do you do your thing, but it's not about you, it's about getting the cues and the lighting and the sound down. So, yeah, right. it's not about acting, just just do it. Just do it. Do it like you would do it, but it's not that week is not for you, it's for them. And yeah. I, I I can't help but see parallels to filming in that regard. You know, mm-hmm. like when Amy Adams is strapped to a green thing attached to another green thing, in Batman v Superman <laughs> filming. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it might yeah. be cool if she had rehearsed. Again, like, you know, Amy Adams is dope and Zack Snyder is yeah. a talented filmmaker. I don't care what anyone says. But yeah. like, um, it yeah. might be cool <clears throat> if she already, instead of like, what the F am I doing in this moment? She's like, right. okay, I've rehearsed this moment in a warehouse, but now I'm attached to this green thing. It's not about yeah. me, but I already know what to do.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I had a moment. Um. I don't want to throw a production under the bus or anything like that, so I'm going to not say specifics, but I was working on a a TV... Well, I guess not TV. Or I was working on a project that was by <laughs> a pretty big company with some pretty big actors, and I was just standing in on it. So a, a stand-in... Um, I, I don't know if I've gone over this before in uh, on the podcast yet, but um, a stand-in is an actor that they hire that is the same height and hair color as the main actor, and your job is to... because like a tech rehearsal it takes forever to set up lights and adjust the um the distance to the camera and when you're trying to figure out what lenses to use and all that though you can do a lot of technical stuff where a person just standing there still not acting we've so all they'll... seen love actually zach oh but yeah people. that's it yeah people have seen love actually yeah, <laughs> yeah not usually naked and screwing around but like uh so my job was to be there on set you know uh standing in place whatever and then uh they rehearse with the cameras until they know what's going on. And then they bring the real actors in to shoot the scene. Uh So you're on set all day, but your main job is just to stand there. So when the actual take is rolling, you can just be watching. So this actor who I've loved for years and uh, is like a hero of mine, stepped in to do his scene and they were doing a couple runs at it. And at one point he was looking really frustrated and the director was like, "Uh, what's going on? Like, what do you need? You know, what's going on? And in this like really gruff voice, he was just kind of like, I don't know, man. It seems like we're uh, we're focusing on literally everything but the acting right now, and that's kind of kind of pissing me off. And the director was like, "Oh my God, you're right. No, I know. Like we're we're doing all these other things, but it was that moment of that like that tension, that like difficulty of working on all the other things. But I, I got when you're of a million other of uh, technical things that are going on, it can eclipse the work in the scene, and uh-huh. you need to feel safe there. And that like even on what one of the biggest productions that I've ever been on, sometimes there can be that, that it it falls apart or something like that. And hopefully your director and your actor have a good enough relationship at that point that you can still find the moment and like focus back in on the, the, the relationship that you're trying to show on screen and do that. But it was one of those things for me where I just watched it happen. And I was like, Oh, he literally is saying we're not focusing on the acting at all right now because of the technical stuff. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. With nuts. Um. But so like. this Whereas, but but yeah. see,
2: if they had done rehearsals, like I don't think he would have felt that way because right, exactly. he would have felt like, oh, we already focused on the acting. We had yes, like a whole two exactly. week boot camp thing of only focusing on the acting. Yeah.
1: Because see, we were like three takes into this scene, and we were trying to go to a different angle or something, and he didn't think we'd gotten it properly, and mm-hmm. we were worried about other technical stuff in the background that would allow us to move to the other. You know, we should change angles now, and he was like. None of this is worthwhile if we don't get the scene. So let's get the scene right now. But this would have been easier if we'd done more on this part of production mm-hmm. before this moment. And that's, where he why was just, you, yeah. that's
2: why you always start with a master shot. Because yeah. then the yeah. actors get to play through their whole scene. And then everything else, they just feel like, okay, yeah, now let's get the other angles. Like You got to let the actors feel like they play through the whole scene first. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, yeah, it's gonna feel like they're not getting any sort of focus on because yeah. we and,
0: experience
1: stories linearly, yeah. right? But and, then we have to shoot them piecemeal in weird, yeah. you know, out of order sequences. Right. Yeah, but
2: but it doesn't. It feels less piecemeal if you get you know the full, full crack cake at it first. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. If I get a full crack right. at it and then I know where my sort of map is moment to moment it's easier to drop mm-hmm. back into those spots than yeah. it is to be like mm, now i'm where just am doing
0: yeah. now i'm just doing this moment but they're mm-hmm. filming my hand
1: yeah right. <laughs> i did sorry. <laughs> sorry one more tiny set i did a short film once where we were doing an insert on my hand where i was like i had bullets that i was going to use to shoot somebody whatever and you i they fell out of my hands and went down this hole in the sink or whatever the drain hole uh <laughs> and we spent i i think three hours just shooting inserts of dropping bullets down the sink because we couldn't get which was like twice what we'd spent on any of the dialogue scenes that day and i just remember being like i'm still in it still gotta do my whole performance through this dropping this (laughs) dropping the bullets moment and it (laughs) filmmaking's weird guys filmmaking's weird uh (laughs) Uh,
2: so speaking of just standing there do you guys see the uh the guy, the 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 driver, who's just like yeah. standing next to the open passenger door,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, just like they're Norman. having a moment. Yep, just guess. waiting
0: for Norman to come back.
1: Yeah. let them do it. Let them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, this is what I do day in yeah. day out. And then hey, Norman, we, he comes back quick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then we get what I I don't think we really give this set enough credit. But well, okay, the, before we get to that set, okay, yeah.
2: Uh, Zach's got to tell us about Willem Dafoe.
1: Oh yeah, we can talk about Willem Dafoe real quick. Uh, All right, casting yeah. of, of Willem Dafoe. So uh, in again slightly unsubstantiated um, rumors about Norman Osborne, the casting process, um, we do know that at least a couple people were offered the role, uh, which happens a lot when you're initially casting a film where you you send out feelers to some big actors and then they'll mm-hmm. turn you down and then you actually you know do the bigger work. But that John Malkovich was one of the first big people considered for uh, the role of, of Norman Osborn, which that's really, that's really
2: interesting because wasn't he, uh, he was, he was who they were wanting for the contract negotiations with for Vulture for Spider-Man four. Right.
1: Yeah. Because like in, in like an interview with him earlier, he was like, Nothing about it appealed to me in terms of, like, the amount of time and effort it would take and the, the subject matter just wasn't down for it. But then clearly, like, however many years later when they're like, oh, we're going to make a fourth one, uh, he was like, oh, I, yeah, okay, maybe on this one. Um, I would like some of that Spider-Man money, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you back up one of those trucks to my house? um uh nicholas cage was in some early talks for it as well as um oh, god john it. travolta yeah uh oh, but my
2: god but... nicholas cage nicholas cage and james
0: franco <laughs> playing father and son
2: <sighs>
1: might have been the most surreal
0: thing <laughs> that's i want that to happen now
1: yeah like i know that should be the new yeah <laughs> whatever they have to trade yeah. faces again again and again <laughs> Oh god, it would be nice. Um wow. but eventually, yeah, uh in November 2000. Harry. Oh my uh, god, he would have been so good. Harry, Willem DeVoe up
0: to the Osborne name
1: was cast, and he he talks again about this thing. There's a common uh refrain from the actors of not really being hundred percent on board with the project at first, but mm-hmm. then having a conversation with Sam Raimi where Sam talked for hours on end about how much he loves Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The the feeling that that this is going to be
0: more than studio (laughs) product.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He said he, he was like on the phone with him for like two hours the first time that they, that they talked. And he was like, um, the fact that, uh, Sam Raimi didn't just see it as like a flash in the pan, like silly entertainment, but that there was a sophisticated drama that spoke to him within the pages of the comics. Uh, Mm -hmm. Willem was like, if he can see that there, I think we can do something good with it. And I, I'm, I'd be interested to see what we can do because I want to go deeper with those relationships. So it was a lot of not just like, here's a of project, here's what we'll be doing. But in terms of these are the emotions we get to play with and the cool, you know, actor things that you can do with it that like he kind of brought him on on board with it. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Nobody was going to like go against casting Willem Dafoe at that point because he's Willem Dafoe. I mean, right? He's amazing,
0: and it sort of uh, adds—it's—it's it's that feeling you get when you see like that Tilda Swinton is in Doctor Strange, where yeah, or like you're like, oh, okay, interesting, like or like when people see Kurt Russell at the end of the Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy trailer, they're like, yeah, oh, right. wow, okay,
1: like there's a reason, well, and, and, yeah. And yeah.
0: the thing
2: that I like about about Willem Dafoe's look here is because oh. okay, so we have had, I, I guess, I guess. To Norman yeah. Osborns but like in in this in this particular case like what what I find uh-huh. is interesting about their take on Norman Osborn is that I feel like they knew that they weren't going to do the goblin mask and yeah. so they 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 felt like well if we cast Willem Dafoe his face is already sort of the goblin mask, you know, because yeah. it's because it's very it's very like, you know, he has a very distinct uh-huh. face. It's got a lot of points and ridges to it. And yeah, and it's very expressive. He's got a very expressive, like large mouth. And like it makes yeah. all of the scenes where he's speaking to himself as the goblin really pop. Yeah, because he can kind of like move his face into the form of something that resembles the goblin mask from the comics. Yeah. He's got like a, he's got like a Jim Carrey rubber face. In he that does.
1: Way. He's so at uh, the, the isolation of the muscle groups or whatever, whatever it is that he's doing is crazy. I, I, I know we'll talk a lot more about this when we actually get to the scenes with a, the goblin suit and b the, the mirror scene, you know, with, with the, when he's actually doing these things. Uh, but the, the actual, the, um, the, the rehearsal process for those was another thing that, like, Defoe um, advised on. Was that, like, oh, if we can get just that set together with the mirror in the room and have, like, closed rehearsals in the space where we can play around with the mirror and, like, what time he's which person, like, we can play around with the scene and build it from there. That, like, you cast a person like Willem Defoe, who, you know, was huge in experimental theater in New York and the Worcester Group and things like that and who was had been in huge projects before, that was, like as guaranteed a, oh, this is a good actor who can do interesting things as you can get that he will change the tenor of the whole thing. Like we talked about how Franco um, adjusted his own approach to his character based on the fact that Willem Dafoe was playing his father. You know, we get the fact that the approach to the, um, the rehearsal process was informed by, by theater in some, in some respects. And Mm -hmm. it's when you cast an actor, you're not just casting, them to be there on the day. You're casting them to be a collaborator, at least ideally. And, uh, and Willem Dafoe was definitely one uh, for Sam Raimi in this film. So I'm glad he was there, man. He's great. No, mm-hmm.
2: um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's, he's great. And speaking of um, Norman Osborn. So I talked about yesterday, how his first appearance in the comics is a little complicated. Yeah. There's a little drama behind it. Um, So the green goblin was first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 14, which was July of 1964. Uh And then the man who was the Green Goblin was introduced in issue 23 uh, in April of the Uh following year, 1965. Wow. And so you saw the man, but you didn't see his face. They were like keeping his identity hidden. And this was still in the Ditko issues. Uh Now... Ditko actually left because of Norman Osborn. Um, Wow. So what happened was that he wanted to do this thing where they kept kept the Green Goblin's identity a secret only for Spider-Man to discover that the Green Goblin is in fact no one that he recognizes at all. He's just some guy. (laughs) He just thought, he thought that that would be a really funny gag and was really, he felt that it was really important that the world of Spider-Man not be this tight knit soap opera where everyone knows everyone and he just wanted to just be some guy. And Stan Lee hated that idea (laughs) because he felt like, You you know,
0: stupid piece of shit. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> starting in uh starting in uh, they we we don't uh they don't they don't they don't say that word in the movie, so we I have what? to bleep you on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, yeah, not the more... in the Raimi ones. Yeah. It, nope. Interesting. Huh. Why?
0: <laughs> so <laughs> the Back to the Future movies have more bad language in them than the Spider Man
1: movies. They yes, certainly it's do. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, um, so so, so
2: so anyway, so what happened was like you know, starting with the Green Goblin's first appearance, they were setting up the idea that mm. you know his his identity was a secret, that it was this big mystery that they were going to unravel over the course of you know two years of issues, mm. and finally it came to the point where uh, where they introduced Harry Osborn, and Stan Lee said, "I want the Green Goblin to be Harry's father." And Ditko said, no, like, that's, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. That's too small of a cast. I don't like the coincidence of it. I, it's, it's lame. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. And Stan Lee was like, okay, hey, John Romita, will you do this? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. Whatever for a dollar, you know? And, and he fired fired Ditko from the, from the book and, Ramita came on, and wow. a few issues later, in Amazing Spider-Man issue 37, June of 1966, uh, Norman Osborn was introduced and later revealed to be the Green Goblin.
1: That's amazing, oh,
0: but like, wow. there's something so quintessentially Ramita about when I think of Harry Osb—when I think of Norman Osborn,
1: uh-huh. it's mm-hmm. it's
0: very much that Ramita look. Yeah. yeah well I oh, mean yeah. yeah of course because he's he created him yeah but it's like uh, I, like it's it's it feels right somehow even though that that's that unfortunate
1: right? yeah and the unfortunate end to one artist's tenure on the on the on the project but that it it is a right fit uh in its own way um
2: yeah and I think yeah. I think Ramita taking over that book I mean it really
0: it led to so much good stuff happening. It yeah, opened it, it up, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: and it and it proved that the because I mean you know it wasn't an understood concept that a comic book character would just go on forever.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh,
2: you know it was Spider Man was Stanley and Steve Ditko, uh, period. You know it's like, yeah. uh, it, it, it's like any sort of indie book, you know. Yeah. That you think of where it's like, yeah, no, it's just, right. It's just right. It's, it's Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Like that's who is on that book. And so it wasn't understood that a book could survive an artist change like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Ramita came on, it changed a lot about the book. It became even more of a soap opera than it already was, uh, which everyone seemed to love and really turned the character i think from a popular character to an iconic character
1: yes yes there's there's no way this movie would have had the green goblin as the main villain if we hadn't had right. those changes early on right yeah it's, right. it's right. The yeah that's the, the, the
0: pathos and the tragedy of of it, of them being father and son that leads right. to so Absolutely. much and like the best yeah. friend angle and like the second son it's just so juicy and so dramatic yeah
1: well, like yeah. what Rami was talking about, like in discussions with uh, with Ziskin and a few other people, that when they realized budget wise that they couldn't do some of the earlier scripts with multiple uh, uh, villains. villains, you know, and right. uh, when they were like, "Well, if you if it could only be one villain, who should it be?" That Rami talked about, like this, since the strength of Spider Man is has always been Peter Parker and who he is as a person. The 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 closest personal relationship will result in the best villain, and the closest personal relationship has always got to be. Uh, Harry Osborn I mean uh, Norman Osborn the father of Harry Osborn the Green Goblin that's who it has to be and like mm. that was like the final decision marker for him was like right. yeah that's who we'll have because that's that's the relationship it's that's what we have yeah
2: and what's interesting is that you mm. know Sp- Spider-Man as a as a character Peter Parker mm. has always had uh, has always been stuck in a Uh, uh, a triangle, a love triangle. And so, Uh you know, in the beginning in the Ditko era, it was Liz Allen and Betty Brandt. That was the love triangle that he was in. Yeah. Uh, And then later in the Ramita era, it was uh, Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane Watson. Uh What I love about this movie is that they're like, look, we don't have enough time to deal with a love triangle. So instead we're going to do a father son triangle. Yeah. And yeah. so we have a father who is who has a son but is more interested in this other kid that he sees as a son. Yeah. And it just it so the triangle relationship is in the movie but it's not like a love triangle. It's another kind of triangle, but that triangular relationship is a very important part the of Spider-Man. the Spider-Man mythos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: God, it's good. Yeah, it's uh, really cool.
2: Huh. Um. So let's uh let's go inside in the in the field trip.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where where are we here? What's what's going on in this uh, rotunda? Uh, yeah.
2: So we're we're in the natural history museum, and what I like about about this set is it is you know as as Nick was saying uh before I I launched us back onto the sidewalk <laughs> um. Uh, uh, what I what I what Nick was saying like it's a very iconic looking set. Like when mm. I think of Spider-Man this first movie, this is usually the first set that pops into my head.
1: Yes, absolutely
2: and yeah. and yeah, so it's this rotunda area in the natural uh, History Museum. Now what's great about this is that in the center of this room, so they moved all of the other artifacts. That, were, that was in this room, out of the room, like into their storage or whatever for the day or two that they were shooting in here. Mm-hmm. But there was one statue that couldn't be moved because it was so old and so important. And I forget what which statue it was. I don't remember if the book mentioned exactly what it was. The but it was one that... Yeah, there sure. was one where they were they were uncomfortable moving this piece out of this room. They're like, this is the only problem. Like you can shoot here, but like there's we can't move this. So what they did was they wrapped it in layers of protective, like bubble wrap and plastic and all these things. They put a they they made like a foam case that went around it. They did all of this stuff, and then they built this microscope around the statue so inside <laughs> this microscope is that statue wrapped in plastic that's incredible <laughs> i love so everything that's the o- about that that's the only reason that this electro micro electro microscope is in this scene wow. is to cover up the uh statue but that's
1: they would, awesome. they sh- they must have known no known early enough in the process that they're like well we can weave that into yeah. the here, yeah
2: Oh, yeah. No, oh, absolutely. Because, wow. I mean, you know, you go you go location, location scouting, scouting early yeah. in pre-production yeah. so that you can, de- so that the, you know, the set builders and everybody can design all this stuff well in advance.
1: So, yeah. yeah. I love that.
2: Yeah. It's great. So it's pretty yeah. cool. I love the idea that, like, you know, the freaking statue of David or something is inside this,
1: <laughs> this <laughs>
2: electron microscope.
1: Uh, uh, I also didn't realize until today when we were prepping for this minute that, I've been here because uh, I'm, I'm so I, when I first saw this movie, I was so immediately just able to be like, oh, yeah, this movie takes place in New York. Everything must be in New York. I just bought into it. And I I had no idea that this particular section is in Los Angeles, like when they're in the interior of this rotunda area, they're shooting in Los Angeles. And when they're outside, yeah. they're shooting in New York. Um, And so it never would have occurred to me that this pivotal part of the of the of the movie where we. Will tomorrow, I guess, see super spiders and where this big microscope is like, that's a place I've walked through in the Natural History Museum. Like that, all all of a sudden I feel like interesting, like new feelings about memories I have visiting museums (laughs) because I already love them. But I'm like, oh my God, I was where, (laughs) I was where he got bitten. I stood there. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, that's really cool. wow. It's great. It's a great looking space. And it allows them to do that sort of like walk and talk thing around while, you know, the, um, while people are giving presentations or whatnot, because I, Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. This is just a, just a really good use of space and really good, like, um, way of working around your problems. I, I guess is like where a lot of the most creative moments in movies come from is like, how do we solve this thing that's in our way here? Oh, I guess we'll, you know, turn it into an asset instead of a, a liability. Right. Um, yeah. I love, Peter pointing out that this is the
2: the most advanced electron microscope on the eastern seaboard, mm-hmm. and then
1: Harry's response: "Wow, it's, it's, <laughs> Just... it's kind of their friendship in a nutshell." Yeah. yeah, he's like, "This is this is the token I pay uh, at this moment to to it, upkeep my relationship."
2: <laughs> it's actually, I mean, uh, to, you know, talking about not to bring up Nick and I's other show again, but uh-huh. it's it's sort of a similar. Relationship to Doc and Marty with oh, yeah. with yeah. Harry being Marty and Peter being Doc of just like it's great Doc that that sort of that element of like okay whatever you say Peter like yeah. right, <laughs> yeah. right on man you're the Doc yeah
1: yeah right exactly uh, um, and we I do like have that. the moment that I, I <laughs> referenced in the opening where Flash That's so creepy so creepy he like leans right in and sniffs Mary Mary Jane's hair it's, and Mary, it's like the yeah. Oh God, like, you know that she's there. She has her own reasons for being in her relationship, I'm sure. But like, that is the moment that I I don't think the later portions of this film would work if we didn't have a couple of these little moments of her own agency being like, this doesn't feel right. This thing I'm in, right? Mm-hmm. Now. Like yeah. that we, mm-hmm. we even in a little cutaway moment to flash in his sunglasses down the front of his shirt, uh, like this, come on, not here thing and and then peter just Uh, yeah yeah like like yeah sees it sees that it's
0: wrong uh, but he's like i have no power i yeah can do nothing to stop
1: this well and and, she sees him seeing it yeah right and there's that that
0: look of sort of like shame on her face of just like oh you're not as cool i'm not as like i'm you saw me at being weak and vulnerable and
2: well not not just that but it sort of seems like there there's a there's like a a thing that happens where she's like almost becomes well it's like a realization for us the audience that she is self-aware that she knows that that she doesn't belong with this guy and that she's actually kind of embarrassed to be seen with him weirdly because it's
0: not she's not being honest with herself
1: it's like empathy and a weird kind of understanding between them yeah Yeah. it's an important moment i i I, i'm just trying to think of like in um my own experiences. I remember in, in college once, I um I had a talk where like you, you become friends with somebody and then like uh, you're just surface friends with them and then you become much closer friends later and then you talk about like, hey, when I first met you, this or this was happening. I remember talking to a friend of mine um, uh, about uh, a relationship she'd been in that she was uncomfortable with when we were like freshmen in college. And like in our senior year, we were talking about like this, this and that and oh, we're such good friends now. And she said, one of the one of the reasons I thought you were a good person was I remember when that guy I was dating freshman year said something really inappropriate um, about me in our little group of friends and everybody laughed except you and that, that you weren't willing to give him that sort of like social, I don't know what it is that, that, um, that reflexive, like, yeah, that uh, acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is fine or whatever. She's like, you were the only person who, who thought it was, you know, not worth like soothing his ego at that moment uh, that Mm -hmm. that you thought it was bad. And I didn't even remember that interaction, but that was like what put me in a, in a column of hers like, Oh, I'll, you know, like he, he's, he's a person I'm, I'm safer around, you know, than the people that Mm -hmm. like encourage this behavior. And it was like such a small thing, but like that the way she saw it, was so much bigger than the way I had seen it, where I was I was probably just in like, duh, oh, that's a dumb thing to say, man. You know, like, I don't right. even know if I was specifically about protecting her feelings at that moment. I was probably just like, oh, that's dumb. But how much more that meant to her at that moment was like right. one of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, I do see the world in different ways because I'm not paying attention to the things other people are paying attention to. And so like that moment, only watching it this time through for the, um, for the podcast really stuck out to me. I was like, oh yeah, like that, we need that early on. Yeah. um for it to work yeah absolutely <sighs>
2: it's just efficient um, yeah so i have i have another thing uh but i i it it still applies to tomorrow's minute so yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off on it i think that's all i have for this minute yeah me too yeah let's do it
1: yeah all okay
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can uh, go check out the uh, other podcast that we have at Dueling Genre. Go to DuelingGenre.com and check it out. We are the first of a, a summer full of Movies by Minute premieres coming to DuelingGenre.com. Uh, we're launching now. Next month, we have uh, Ferris Bueller's Minute Off um is premiering in june uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles minute uh is coming in july uh serenity minute in september and uh and then uh, nick, nick and i's follow up to back to the future minute uh cornetto minute launching in Ugh. october
1: i can't wait for that one i mean all of them i can't wait for any of them but i'm specifically yeah. excited about cornetto minute oh it's gonna yeah. be good, guys. It's gonna be real yeah, good.
2: So, yeah, so uh, so go go check out all that stuff um and uh, be on the lookout for the new the new shows and check out everything we've got going on at duelinggenre.com and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow with minute eight.
1: Thanks guys.